0: Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. The premise of Beauty Island is simple. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the beauty product that defined their teens the one they grew up watching their mum or grandma apply, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. But after all that, today is something a little bit different. In this episode, you will hear my interview with co-founder of the world's first makeup museum, Doreen Block. Now, the museum is opening up in New York in May. I was originally going to drop this as a bonus episode, but the conversation ended up so interesting and really went to the heart of what Beauty Island is about that I wanted to instead release this as a main episode. So please excuse the slightly different format. Uh, Thank you so much for your feedback last season on phone versus in-person interviews. Hopefully you'll notice that season four has and will be in person, but as Doreen is in the US and I'm in Melbourne, And I really wanted to talk to her about this venture. This is a rare exception. I won't give too much away, but in my chat with Doreen, we talked about how on earth a museum dedicated to the history of makeup has not existed before, where on earth you start given makeup's 10,000 year history, some of the amazing pieces and cultural history she's discovered along the way, like why lipstick is called Lipstick Bullet, and of course, when you can visit yourself. In this conversation, we really explored the cultural significance of beauty, which is something I'm so passionate about and that beauty is a lot more than skin deep. Doreen is someone who knows the makeup space intimately, working in the industry, providing consumer insights to some of the biggest beauty brands. So she was the perfect person, as she put it, to beauty nerd out together. If you enjoy this or any episode of Beauty Island, I have a little favor to ask. If you aren't already, please subscribe Rate five stars, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, write a little review about why you enjoy the podcast. It takes just a few seconds, and as an independent podcast, it means the world to me. Or you can recommend to a friend, or a casual acquaintance, or a total stranger standing beside you on the bus. And you can take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story, and tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see where you're listening and other people can see that you're listening too. Now over to Doreen. Enjoy. Doreen, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm so excited to be chatting to you today about all things beauty and particularly the significance of makeup and beauty and the makeup museum. So I suppose a good place for us to start is at the beginning. Where did your passion and interest for beauty come from?
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. It's such a joy and honor. Makeup and beauty has been a passion of mine for as long as I can remember. In elementary school, you know, age five, six, I remember when I would go to the library or to the bookstore, I was always drawn to art and fashion and beauty and not just the visual imagery, but sort of the nerdy side of it and always wanting to understand the the behind-the-scenes stories of the artists and the creators. And so it's really something that's been in my life for a very long time. I think that what I could have never predicted at that young age is that it's something you can really make a career of and that there are other people who are just as interested in it as I am and um, come to this industry from so many different perspectives. So, really, from a very young age, uh, in terms of the passion and interest in beauty and aesthetics.
0: And do you remember the first product, first beauty product you either bought or that you grew up watching your mum or someone in your life use? Because I think those kind of memories and connections become really formative. We always really remember those first kind of interactions with beauty.
1: Yes. And so, for me, it's interesting because. My first interactions with makeup were also at a very young age. I did community theater when uh, starting at the age of five or six around the same time. And so unlike many people whose first experiences with makeup may have been through a parent figure or at a store um, or with friends and sort of the, the social experiences of makeup in more of a commercial sense, For me, my exposure to makeup was with brands like Ben Nye and Kryolan and sort of these very um, pro-artistry heritage brands because it was all about leveraging makeup and using makeup artistry to tell a story or to create a character. And so I remember from a very young age having very thick makeup caked onto my skin, (laughs) and it was one of those things where, in a way, um, as I grew older and started wearing makeup just for myself uh, in my in my life, it was almost a re-education to get exposed to makeup that is more commercially available and something that you would wear in the everyday.
0: And I think that's a really interesting point because obviously the makeup that you're wearing as a performer on stage is very or even you know on film and things like that is very different to what most people wear every day but I think the thing that unites it and you touched on there is kind of the power that makeup can bring to I don't know whether it's necessarily a performance but a lot of people draw confidence from makeup they it's it's an expressive so you can feel like you can be yourself is that something that you you kind of see and experience as well
1: Absolutely. All of those things. And um, a word that really has resonated with me lately is this idea of identity and makeup as a tool to create identity and how that identity can shift uh, depending on who we want to be in any given moment. And so, yes, that is something that I definitely experienced very early on. I don't think I had the words for it yet, but Um, It certainly played a very powerful role in my life. And uh, now with the makeup museum, it's been absolutely fascinating to learn and to aggregate these stories around how film, television, theater, has made such a big impact on the makeup that we all use today. It's why we actually have decided to launch the Makeup Museum with the debut exhibition focused on the 1950s because of the importance of essentially film technology in the development of makeup technology. These things are all so interrelated, and I think it's a side of makeup that people will be so fascinated to learn
0: about. And I do want to talk to you more about the, particularly that exhibition and why you've started there. But I think first, where did the idea for the Makeup Museum come from? I mean, I was quite, since this has been announced, it's been covered by everyone pretty much. And I think it's so interesting and I was so surprised that there hadn't been a dedicated museum for makeup before.
1: I know, I know. And we were so thrilled and just blown away by all the amazing coverage and response to this uh, effort. And it has been the culmination of years of work. It's interesting because uh, when I graduated from university, I actually started my career in finance, Uh, (laughs) so attempted for one year to go in a very uh, uh, different direction, and makeup and beauty and aesthetics just called me back. And so about 10 years ago, I started a company in the cosmetic space called Poshly, that provides primarily consumer insight services for major brands. And so for uh, about a decade now, I've been working with L'Oreal, Shiseido, Avon, Revlon, uh, many uh, massive companies, also up-and-coming companies. And it's been so incredible over all this time to meet amazing creators, brand developers, scientists, and to just hear all of these stories about uh, the art and the science around makeup and a little over a year ago when I was seeing the success of new experiences like the museum of ice cream museum of pizza this light bulb went off for me around how do we not have a museum dedicated to makeup and it's also just been so thrilling to see various exhibitions that have come up over the years whether it's at Uh, New York University or FIT in New York, also the Costume Institute at the Met being so successful around fashion, and uh, there's obviously such a strong connection to beauty. It just seemed to me that with 10,000 years of history, with so many people incredibly passionate about makeup, it is time to create a dedicated space. And so my first call was to a friend of mine from the beauty industry, Uh, Caitlin Collins, who was the former editor of Makeup.com, and I just needed a gut check from her, you know, and so my first question was, Caitlin, have you ever heard about this? Is it possible that someone has tried to create this, and maybe there was a reason that it wasn't successful, and uh, as we started socializing this with our network, everyone said wow you know we can't believe we had never heard about it and you know you should try to push this forward so um now we bring together an amazing group thrilled as you are that this is uh, finally coming to life
0: as a beauty journalist i have a beauty podcast very obsessed with beauty it kind of goes to the territory but i was in in europe earlier this year and obviously got to see lots of exhibitions and things like that and it really struck me as you said you can go to different places and there are tiny aspects like i went to and you can see, like the the early makeup from the Egyptians. Um, I went to the Mary Quant exhibition, a fantastic exhibition on Helena Rubinstein at the Jewish Museum in Paris. Um, and yeah. and that struck me at how how rare that was to almost have a dedicated exhibition to beauty. Um and I think, Obviously, particularly this podcast has come from my passion and belief that beauty has such an important social and cultural significance to things. I always think it's such a good barometer. When we look back over history, you can look at what was in the news, but I think if you're looking at what people were wearing in fashion and beauty and and the cultural things tells us so much more. Do you think the fact that there hasn't been such a dedicated space to make up in the museum sense as you're doing kind of says or demonstrates that some people don't see that significance in beauty, which I think is a real shame.
1: Yes, I think that there's certainly an element of that, that makeup or beauty was an afterthought, and that's changed. I think that there's a huge recognition today that makeup and beauty is such a powerhouse industry. When you look at now Kylie Jenner being one of the world's wealthiest women, that is incredible. She's made her money off of the beauty industry. I think now there is recognition from more of the traditional media outlets and um, more of the, quote, serious um, faculties that have acknowledged that Beauty, makeup, skincare, everything that comes with how we groom ourselves as humans, that it does have a very important place in culture, in commerce, uh, in politics, and so much more. And so I think it's just a matter of the right moment, the right people, the right time, and all of this coming together. So it's about time, and we're thrilled that it's happening now.
0: And as you've said, the museum will feature a series of rotating exhibitions that will cover the very extensive 10,000 years of makeup history that's still going on, focusing on one decade at a time. And you mentioned the starting exhibition, which is obviously Pink Jungle, 1950s Makeup in America. You touched on it before, but tell me a bit more about why you decided to start there. Yes.
1: And so the big vision for the museum is to have a permanent freestanding space devoted to all 10,000 plus years of makeup history, not just looking at makeup history in a linear capacity, but also thematic, and also, of course, um, really changing a Eurocentric narrative that beauty history has often held. Um, and really exposing all different ways that human beings have groomed and adorned themselves. And so that's our big vision. And in the meantime, we thought, because that's going to take years to develop and curate, we wanted to start somewhere. And so we felt that the 1950s was perfect for a variety of reasons. You know, it's in the middle of the century. You have amazing artifacts that are still in great shape. They're accessible, but they're... Uh, they feel familiar in many ways. For example, the Max Factor Cream Puff, that's still a product that you can purchase today, so it has that level of familiarity, and yet when you see the 1950s version of it, it um, harkens back to a different time, and there's so much to explore there, from the packaging design to the ingredients that were used and how that has changed over time. So we felt so strongly that it's an exciting moment to explore from a, the ability to sort of pull it in either direction from a timing perspective, but then also some of the key themes being so iconic and interesting to explore. For example, the exhibition is going to open with an exploration on the imagery of the 1950s. And when you look at the early 1950s advertising, it was all about using and wearing makeup for men. Yeah. And it's about getting a man, keeping a man, and um, it's so interesting uh, to explore that in the cultural context around the World Wars just having ended and what that meant for family structures and people trying to resume a sense of normalcy and also to create the future in many ways. And so uh, one of our co-founders, Rachel Goodwin, points out, for example, that a lot of the verbiage in the product names of the 50s are things like atomic, hi-fi, sort of hearkening to this idea of what the future looks like. And so it's such an interesting time to explore around how women began to use makeup to create a sense of identity in all different ways. And you have so many different dynamics of the hollywood system of the time the amazing entrepreneurs of the decade like lena rubenstein max factor elizabeth arden essay water so many amazing founders and their stories and so fundamentally it's such a it, it creates such a wealth of content that is both familiar in terms of the cat eye the bold red lip being still so popular today and yet giving people a sense of the genesis of those trends in really a mass market moment of the 50s. So lots to explore and um, we're just so excited about the response that it's received so far and um, can't wait for
0: people to come and visit. It's just so fascinating, isn't it? And I like that you touched on the advertisements because I um, I have a few vintage women's magazines, some from kind of, they're all Australian, but some from uh, the second world war or even I think I have a 1919 one. And like you said, the language around makeup is so much about where this lipstick and your husband won't look at another woman, he'll look at you, um, yeah. okay. which is, you know, thankfully seems quite strange to us today, but, you know, not not too far off. We haven't, it's been a while, but also we look at the differences and also the similarities. I look at some of the adverts in the, those magazines from the 1920s, there's still weight loss, there's still teeth whitening, and it's just amazing how in 100 years some things haven't changed in beauty. Just. Right. To, just the way we talk about I
1: realize them. I exactly, I think for some uh, members of the younger generation who may not know that Max Factor was a real person, S.J. Lauder is a person, you know, Sally Hansen, um, that was one actually that I got uh, mixed up on. I thought Sally Hansen was just a brand name, but no, she was an amazing woman who actually wrote a very forward-thinking uh, column for the LA Times back in the 50s, it's called Your Candid Mirror, and it was really all about uh, owning your confidence as a woman, as being the most important form of makeup and beauty. So um, it's really incredible to have the opportunity to highlight all of these stories, all of these lessons, and to explore how much has changed, but maybe how much has really stayed the same and what that means for the future of beauty.
0: And you touched on the fascinating stories behind names and, and things that we probably don't even think about, like you said, that Max Factor is a person. And one story that I read in some of the coverage of the Makeup Museum, um, which I didn't know, was that um, apparently many ammunition factories after World War One or two were converted into lipstick um, manufacturing plants. So that's why the metal bullet containers... Yes that we use in lipstick are called lipstick bullets because it's the same shape that we still use today. And I mean, that's incredible and probably not very well known at all.
1: right, exactly. And that's where even people who may think, oh, I have nothing to do with makeup, I'm not interested. But if they're history buffs, I mean, what an amazing insight. And that to me is so fascinating. And it just lights me up personally. I, I just find those kinds of tidbits and factoids to be so interesting and to tell us so much about the world that we live in today when hundreds of millions of lipstick bullets are sold all over the world Um, and the connection that that has to wartime essentially it's absolutely fascinating.
0: Without giving too much away were there any other kind of discoveries like that in terms of beauty vernacular that that really surprised you or that stood out to you?
1: We are uncovering so much every day in all of the research that we do. I'm trying to think of another example off the top of my head. I'll circle back to it as I sort of share how we're going about surfacing these stories. Yes. Um, um, You know, I think there's a lot of beauty history where you know there's some facts that are more well-known. Actually, another example that relates to lipstick that I think is a more well-known piece of history is that, uh, for example, red lipstick used to be very inappropriate for women to wear at the earlier parts of the century, at least in the United States. And again, from sort of more the of being very cognizant that this is more of a Eurocentric view. Um, but then, in around the time of the suffrage movement in the United States, women like Elizabeth Arden were actually handing out lipsticks, uh, bright red lipstick, to suffragettes as a means of really claiming their independence. And I think to me that is such a fascinating anecdote because uh, today I think there's a lot of questions that people have around whether red lipstick is about independence or is it actually uh, shackling to them, you know, instead of wearing black lipstick or blue lipstick or purple lipstick as a means of showing independence. And so just to think back to that history that actually the classic, what we think of today as a classic red lip not even that long ago, a 100 years now, was very much avant-garde, was very much a statement around independence and freedom as a woman. And so that to me is so interesting, but our goal is to really surface so many more stories, and I think we have a lot of very hard work to do from an anthropological perspective of interviewing women who are today in their 80s and 90s, And understanding, you know, really what were they using? What was their connection to makeup? What were they excited about? What were they nervous to use? What were they confused about when it came to makeup? I think there's so many things that we need to ask that generation so that we can preserve the history and really understand the importance that makeup had in their lives.
0: And to go behind the scenes a little bit in terms of the logistics, obviously it goes without saying that putting something together like this takes... A lot of work, but who? Tell me a bit yeah. more about who's bringing it together and kind of the logistics, obviously, of kind of a museum that needs um, physical artifacts for part of the story. What What is some of that like?
1: It's been an incredible effort from so many people on the co founding team. So, as I mentioned, my first phone call was to Caitlin Collins, who started her career at L'Oreal and um, just loved makeup probably even more than I do, if that's (laughs) possible, and um, just knows so many different people in the space. And so um, she has been such a great support around content and strategy and really owning that piece of the experience. Rachel Goodwin, our third co-founder, who is a celebrity makeup artist to amazing women like Emma Stone, January Jones, and many others, she has brought to our team... Such an incredible creative vision and bringing the perspective of someone who works with makeup every day to shape and create faces and characters. And so that's been absolutely incredible. And she is a wealth of knowledge around the history and the makers and creators in the space. In addition, we have an amazing uh, design studio and or forever in New York City who is supporting on all things related to spatial design, technical design, and all of those things that it takes to create a physical uh, museum space. And also, I have to say that the brands themselves have been such important supporters and contributors. For example, we've announced so far two founding sponsors, Alcone Company, which was founded by Al Cohen in uh, the 1950s, in 1952 in New York City, where um, Al Cohen Company still today is one of the main purveyors of uh, theater and uh, stage and film makeup for so many um, productions and for many, for many uh, celebrities as well. So um, they bring such an important piece of history. For example, they own all of the Mark Trainer face tape videos um, which is more 60s, but again, you know, just something that we'll be able to expose through the Makeup Museum. Also, our, our founding sponsor, Erno Laszlo, has incredible artifacts that are directly from the personal boudoirs of Marilyn Monroe, Greta Garbo, and others. Fact story there for those who are interested is that Dr. Erno Laszlo, who founded the brand around the turn of the century, he was the skin doctor for Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hepburn, Jacqueline Onassis. There are so many people who trusted their skin to him and his regimen and his products. And um, the brand has so many iconic products that were being used by all of these women. And so they have a collection of products directly from those women's makeup kits and skincare, um, essentially what the shelfie would look like today <laughs> if those women were alive. So incredible! Um, so excited to be having those on display, and we couldn't do it without those brand archives. So it's really been a phenomenal effort from so many different people across the industry.
0: And in terms of when people will actually be able to experience this, when when is the makeup museum Opening because obviously it's in New York, but when when can people start start coming?
1: The Makeup Museum is opening on May 1, and um, the location is incredible. It's in the meatpacking district, right across from the Whitney Museum, which has so much history connected to beauty in and of itself. Um, one of the main benefactors of the Whitney Museum of um, American Contemporary Art is Leonard Lauder. And so it's just, it was incredible when I was in New York just a week ago to stand at the forthcoming location of the makeup museum and just to see the Leonard A. Lauder building of the Whitney and just to know that beauty, the beauty industry has contributed in such a big way to arts and culture and to be part of that and to be co-located with that is really incredible positive energy. So, um, so it will be in New York City at 94 Dansevort Street and tickets will start to go on sale in March um, but the museum opens in May, and will this exhibition Pink Jungle will be uh, live and available for six months until we then. Our our goal is to travel it to other locations globally, and then we'll introduce a new exhibition at the ninety four of
0: Gansett location. It is all so exciting. I will definitely have to be planning a trip over next year to come see it, particularly yeah. after this conversation. So Doreen, thank you so. To welcome you. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about some a subject that we're both so passionate about. It's been such a lovely conversation delving into the history and significance of beauty. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for nerding out with me on
0: (laughs) all things beauty. I really appreciate it. Anytime. (laughs) You for listening to this episode of Beauty Island about makeup history and the world's first makeup museum opening in New York in May. You can find out more info about all of that in these show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or you can send me an email. Beauty Island podcast at gmail.com and i also have a regular beauty newsletter called it's a beauty which will be triumphantly returning in the next week where you'll get reviews recommendations and tips and tricks of my beauty column delivered straight to your inbox the link to sign up to that is also in the show notes thank you and until next time bye bye